Hi, I'm Ellie Compulsive Overeater. Hi, Hi. Hi. And uh, I'm grateful to be here, grateful to speak to everyone, both in person and online. And if for any reason you can't hear me, please somehow indicate it, because with the mask I'm never certain that I can be heard clearly. So I'm going to tell you what it was like, what happened, and what I'm like today. First off, I'd like to say about uh, a little more than a week and a half ago, I celebrated my 15th birthday. Thank you. That means that for 15 years, I have not indulged in anything that has sugar and flour combined since that is one of my, uh, I call it alcoholic foods. I have others, which I'll talk about later, but that was my primary. I first came here, I was um, about 100, uh, close to 150 pounds. I was 59 and a half years old, and I'm five feet Maybe, maybe one inch. And those of you who have any idea, at 150 pounds, I was just not at a healthy weight. My, he wasn't my, he was my soon-to-be ex-husband at the time, was 5'11", and he weighed 155. So that just gives you an idea. So, um... I had, and I'm not that weight today. Today I am 74 years old. I'm probably five feet and shrinking, and I weigh about 105. And the miracle is that I came to program. I found what I needed. I stayed. I enjoyed my time with fellows with my sponsor, I found a higher power that I can trust. When I came, I was sick and tired of fighting with the food and hating myself. And I had hoped that the rest of my life was not going to be like that. The way I discovered OA was really what I call a God shot. Some of you have heard this story, and for you, please be patient. The others who have not, it's a really a wonderful story that has to deal with higher power as far as I'm concerned. Um, my husband of 27 years had just asked me for a divorce. And I was living with a girlfriend on uh, Roxbury Drive. And one day, one sunny day, I was um, going for a walk. I went to Roxbury Park. I brought a book with me, and I sat down in the sun. And I started reading. And I got very warm and uncomfortable. And I saw two people get up from, two women get up from a shady spot on a bench. 
And so as they got up, I walked over, sat down on the bench, and there on the bench was the 12-stepper. For those of you from out of town, the 12-stepper is our meeting guide. And there I was able to see that right behind me, every Sunday, there was a meeting starting at 10 o'clock for newcomers and 10, 10.30 or so for others. That right behind me, there was that meeting. And so I decided that was on November 19, 2006. The following week, November 26, 2006, I came back to that meeting, scared, not sure what I was going to find, but absolutely willing to do it anyway other than my own. I had been on diets. I don't know, all my life. Uh, I, I think the problem that I had mostly had to do with my head, not my stomach. I saw myself as fat and ugly, and neither of which was true, but at the time, I couldn't see that. So I had this distorted view of myself. And now when I look through... Um, pictures of when I was younger and of, thought, of course I thought I was fat at the time. That's not the case. Yeah, maybe I was a little chunky, maybe I was a little overweight, but not drastically, and I would probably be considered today in a normal body weight. So I entered the room and I listened. I heard things that I'd not heard before. As I said, I'd been on many diets. My mother was always dieting or on some crazy plan, and uh, she served us. So I was on Weight Watchers during her time. I was on Weight Watchers during my lifetime. I was on Calories Don't Count, where you ate all the fried foods that you wanted. <laughs> and... Um, Metrical. Wonderful thing about Metrical, I always like to tell the story that when I was younger, I would drink the Metrical and then use the cans as rollers for my hair so that it would set. That was the best thing out of Metrical. That's all I can tell you. I lost weight and I gained it again because that's what's always happened to me. I had been 125 pounds at one point, and I got down to 102 pounds. I was following a points program. And at that time, I felt very successful, very powerful. I'd lost the weight. And um, I remember looking in the mirror and saying to myself, well, now you're not a fat, ugly shit. You're a skinny, ugly shit. And that is really critical, nasty, harsh. I would never say that to anyone else, ever. But those are the kind of critical, nasty words I used about myself. So, 
what I heard is from people in the meeting room was that they had lost weight and more importantly they had kept it off for an extended period of time and that really impressed me when I boiled down what I heard at my first meeting it was basically put the fork down some people said they ate three meals a day one snack three meals a day no snack three meals a day life in between so with that in mind and putting the fork down in between I came there I had eaten breakfast I went home when the meeting was over at 12 o'clock I had my lunch I don't remember what I did for the rest of the day I had dinner and then I do remember I went right to sleep after dinner that way I would not be worried about going to the refrigerator back and forth which is what had been my pattern while I was living at my girlfriend's house there is a um, fellow in this program who says if you go to sleep and you don't wake up with a chicken bone in your mouth then you're abstinent <laughs> and following that that was my first day of abstinence so the day that I came I heard what I needed to hear it was also my first day of abstinence I found a sponsor who had what I wanted as I was told that's what I heard in the meetings you told me find a sponsor who has what you want and ask how she or he is doing it and I did so um, I got a an OA 12 and 12 and an OA 12 and 12 workbook and I worked the steps with her when I completed each step I gave her the answers and I went on to the next step so clearly in my first meeting I had surrendered to the fact that I am a compulsive overreader and I certainly knew that I was not sane around food because no matter what every time I lost weight I managed to go back to the same eating habit that caused me to put on weight and so naturally I did at the time I also realized that uh, flour and sugar combined in the forms of cakes pies muffins cookies etc intuitively I knew that that was something I could not eat later on I discovered there were other foods that I couldn't eat that I needed to abstain from and quite honestly it was as early as maybe three years ago, or as late however you want to look at it as three years ago I discovered a new food to which I'm allergic so my process of learning about myself learning about my body and what serves it and what doesn't serve it is ongoing um, I also after going through the steps with my sponsor I joined an, um, a big book workshop 
And I found that I could relate to that as well. And what especially touched me, or, well, yeah, what touched me was the fact that I learned about the obsession and, um, I forgot the other word. This is what happens when you're 74 years old. Sometimes you lose words. Um, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And I also learned that an allergy just meant that I had an abnormal reaction. It didn't mean I break out in hives or anything like that. I just had an abnormal reaction. And once I ingested the food, I couldn't stop from thinking about it. So now I look and I see that in addition to today, as of today, my alcoholic foods are still flour and sugar. They are sugar by themselves. Also um, dried fruit. And nut butters. I can eat the nuts. I cannot eat the nut butters. I can't tell you why. That's just my chemistry. And potato chips. My growth is a result of following the steps, is a result of what I do in the mornings. In the mornings, I wake up. I read one of our daily readers. I close my eyes. I say the first three steps. I say the third step prayer. I set an alarm and I sit quietly for 20 minutes. When the alarm goes off, I say my own third step prayer, which I had made up. And I also do a prayer of thanks to my higher power for everything that I have in my life today, all the things I'm grateful for, as well as all the things I would like help for. For example, please help me to be more patient, tolerant, compassionate, and understanding of others and myself. To speak, act, think with kindness. Please direct my thinking so it's divorced of self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. Well, I will tell you that I have learned to be kind to myself, to not be so critical. I have a higher power who loves me unconditionally. My concept doesn't need to be yours. We get to choose our own concept of our higher power. My higher power wants me to learn lessons. Some of them are very helpful to me right away. Others I don't necessarily like, but they wind up being helpful to me in the long run. And then, in the mornings, I then have my breakfast, and I take sponsee calls. I think it's so important to have a relationship with sponsees and sponsor. Tell me about your 
I've always heard that in order to keep what you have, you need to give it away. And I give it away in the terms of working with sponsees. I have a sponsor who I call, and I work with sponsees. I sponsor them the way I was sponsored. I take them through the OA 12 and 12, and then the OA workbook. And then as we continue to work with each other, I ask them to read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And sometimes we do that individually, and other times I have a uh, big book workshop, which I had done over the years. And I do that with my sponsees. And for me, it's one of the greatest joys to see the light go on in people's eyes, to see them stop eating compulsively, to refrain from eating their alcoholic foods, and to enjoy the life that they have. I can't tell you why I became a compulsive overeater. It really doesn't matter. I was, and the interesting part is I still am, and I always will be. I don't kid myself about that. Just because I'm not compulsively overeating now, and just because I'm refraining from my alcoholic foods today, it doesn't mean that that safeguards me for the rest of my life. I have an incurable disease. It's treatable. And I treat it on a daily basis through the actions of working the steps, doing literature, being of service, sponsoring, reading, all the, all the tools that we hear about. That's what I use on a daily basis. So I think I've told you pretty much what it was like, what happened, and what I'm like now, to a certain extent. I will say today, I'm not fighting with the food. I have neutrality around it. I will also say today that I am happier than I have ever been, even in the pandemic. There's... My sponsor will always talk about looking for the gift in things. The gift in the pandemic in its own way has been Zoom that allows us to get together, to be together, to um, not have the same kind of fellowship, but at least have some kind of fellowship to feel connected. When the pandemic hit, I was in Florida. The ability to speak with my sponsees, whether it was once a week or however many times a week, kept me connected to program. I wasn't going out to find any meetings in um, Orlando, that's for sure. And Well, not that there's anything wrong. I just wasn't going out. None of us were. And... I've also been able to establish a wonderful, loving relationship with my family, 
once a week I get to speak with my nephew, his wife, and my great-nephew who live in Orlando, and my niece, her twins, and her husband that live in Oregon. So I get to speak to each of them once a week through this wonderful technology that we have. I also get to work out four days a week because of this wonderful technology. I do Pilates. I do weight resistance training. I have become stronger, more flexible, have more stamina, and definitely have more strength as a result of working with these wonderful people, one of whom is a fellow in this meeting. Um, I enjoy, I have been retired for a number of years. I enjoy reading, which I do, and I also enjoy doing my art. My art consists of um, doing cards, collaging, stamping, etc. So I do that, and now that um, I have felt safe, in quotes, air quotes, I do get to get to I do get together with friends, people who I know are vaccinated and safe. So I understand that that is my time, even though I may not have heard it over through through here. So thank you for letting me to be of service. Thank you for asking me, Rika. And I hope you all heard something that you needed to hear. So thank you. We will alternate between in-person and online questions. The speaker will try to remember to repeat the question before answering. Okay, questions. Kathy. Hey, first of all, good to see you. Thank you. Like Steve. Mm -hmm. And how, and how do you find you you always very calm. Do you ever lose your temper? <laughs> and, 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 and did you, if you need to talk more about how you got over the Okay. I will try to paraphrase it. <laughs> Kathy wants to know, being that I come across very calm, if I ever lose my temper. And also, how did I come to uh, a long time not hate myself? I do have a temper, but I have learned in this program to speak it rather than hold it. And I don't speak in anger. I keep my mouth shut. If I have to write about it as a resentment, I will. If I need to say it, I can say, I really don't like what you just said. Without the temper and without the cursing that would normally come out of my mouth. I remember, and I'm going to give an example of that. 
Um, at one point during my recovery, I was uh, speaking with a fellow, and she made a suggestion to me. And, of course, my character defect at the time was, I know it all, you can't tell me anything. And I said to her, you know, I don't recall asking for your unsolicited advice. And, yes, I was early in my recovery. Now I hear it as very mean and very cruel. What I say now, because her character defect may be that she needs to tell me what to do and everybody else, I now say, thank you for your suggestion. And I still get to do whatever I want to do with it. That is growth that happens over time. That kind of growth happens by praying to my higher power in the seventh step, by, by what I call naming and claiming. You know, please remove from me my selfishness, my anger, fear, my self-righteous indignation. That's a good one. And again, over time, nothing is immediate. I had a sponsor who once I said, God, please me remove my impatience now. <laughs> So, and in terms of how I've come to love myself over time, again, I feel that I have a higher power that loves me unconditionally. But there is a paragraph after upon acceptance. In the big book, the fourth edition, I believe it's page 417, everybody knows the paragraph upon acceptance. But there's a paragraph after that that talks with Shakespeare saying that all the world's the stage and all the players upon it are actors. The line that stuck out to me was, when I think I know about you or about me, when I think I know, it means that I think I know better than God. And the first time I heard that, it really struck me. And I heard it as, who are you to think you know better than God in my own head? And so with that, in mind that started the journey um, I don't have to be perfect I am just one of you I am one of I am a human being I make mistakes I don't have to be perfect there was a time that uh, I felt I wasn't good enough my question nowadays is good enough for who if my higher power loves me unconditionally, I don't need to prove myself to anybody else. And I don't even need to prove myself at all. So, is there a, I hope that answers your question. 
Um, Don, is there a question online? Uh, there is. How do you keep your spiritual practice strong and consistent on all days, no matter what happens? Thank you for the question, which is how do I keep my spiritual condition strong on all days? Well, as I mentioned what my morning routine is, again, I am not perfect. There are some mornings that I don't sit, that I don't meditate, that I don't pray. But those are very few. I remember my sponsor at one time we were talking and um, we were talking about making good choices and poor choices. And she said, it, during the week, if you have three poor choices in your food and you have 21 meals, then three out of 21 is your average. And if you were a baseball player, that would be a really, really good batting average. <laughs> so if I don't get to pray once a week, that's one out of seven. It means six out of seven I do. Again, it's a good batting average. And I hope that answers your question. Another one in the room? Thank you so much for your lead. Thank you so much for your lead. Um, how has your relationship with your higher power changed over the years? And um, what did you use to um, expand it ongoingly? Okay. Uh, the question is, how has my higher power changed over the years? And what have I used to extend it? Is that correct? Okay. Um, before I came to program, my higher power was a Santa Claus. You do for me, I'll do for you. Um, my grandmother was very, very important in my life. And she was ill when I was eight years old. And every day I would pray that my grandmother, that God would keep my grandmother alive. And of course, within a short amount of time, she had multiple myeloma and she, she died. Now I get to see that that was God's plan, not to take her away from me, that's not the issue, but to remove her from her suffering. Um, I think... Well, that was, again, a long time ago. At, but by the time that I came to program, I had a different kind of belief through the years of this entity that I cannot describe that lived inside of me and lived inside of everybody else, every living thing. I call it the great he, she, it, because I cannot explain I only know what he, she, it does for me, how I see it, whether it's in the wind, the trees, a plant, whether I see it at sunset or at sunrise, in the mountains. So I don't know if that quite answers your question, 
but it's ongoing. It may change more. Um, I know my higher power does for me things that I never thought, whether it's finding the 12-stepper, whether it's giving me the grace of abstinence, Ellie, that's your five minutes, honey. Okay, thanks, Carol. Um, so I don't really know. It'll just go where it goes, and I'm willing to accept that. Okay, question online. Yes. Um, can you talk a little about your relationship with program and fellowship in general as it relates to the pandemic and being more isolated? Okay, the question being, can I talk about fellowship and the program in terms of the pandemic and being more isolated? Well, I am on my own. I live on my own. I don't consider that isolated. I just consider it on my own. I still speak with sponsees on a daily basis. I still speak with my sponsor. Every Wednesday, I hold a workshop for my sponsees. And first, we went through the big book. Then it turned into a literature meeting. And now it is more morphed back into the OA 12 and 12 and doing the steps. So that and reaching out to people I am a newcomer contact for this meeting, getting calls from newcomers. All of that keeps me involved in program. I hope that answers your question. Anyone else? Nancy. Um, I have a question. So if this one comes to you and they're um, struggling with certain foods, what would be your process to kind of guide them to see what foods they need to be honest with and what behaviors uh, they should look into, like eating behaviors? Um, so let me try to rephrase it as I understand it. And Nancy, please jump in if I'm not going in the right direction. What do I do if a sponsee is not finding their alcoholic foods? And how do I help lead them to it? Okay, thank you. Good question. Um, I'd like to ask someplace along the line of my sponsor, what is it that when it's on your plate, there's never going to be enough of it? Um, and for them, that may help them realize what it is. I ask my sponsees to send me their food every night. I send them mine. I expect them to send me theirs. That's an agreement that we have. To be open, to be transparent. I don't need to hide anything. I send it to my sponsor, and my sponsees get blind carbon copies. Um, I had a sponsee at one time who told me that her abstinence was binging. And by seeing her food, over time, I said, 
I think you may need to look at the fact that when you go off the rails, it normally has to do with sugar. I think, and you have proved it, that sugar really is your alcoholic food. And she agreed to that. So now she refrains from eating sugar. And she doesn't have to binge in the same way. Because I knew she didn't binge on broccoli or corn or anything like that. You know, those are healthy foods. I also ask people to define their red, yellow, and green light foods. And then I remind them they're not being deprived. I'm not being deprived of the foods that I don't eat. There are so many, thank you, I'll just finish up. There are so many foods that I can eat that the four or five that I don't eat, it's not important. Anyway, again, thank you for your question. And um, now it is time for the secretary's announcement. Thank you.